Hey, this is Matthew's Table podcast channel. We wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you, builds your faith, and reminds you of who you are, but more importantly, whose you are. Men, for the sake of time, I won't, ra- I, won't, I won't take the time to do this, but I could rattle off a whole bunch of statistics to you brothers that speak very plainly and pointedly to the fact that we live in an increasingly manless society. And there's an undeniable correlation or connection between a manless society and the ever-increasing rates of addiction and abortion and incarceration and divorce and poverty and abuse and neglect and promiscuity and violence. And I could go on and on and on. Brothers, we, we need a revival of biblical manhood. Yet, yet the question remains, what does it mean to be a man? Like, like our culture screaming at us, a million different things from a million different directions. Like that you gotta, as Marcus mentioned, like you, you gotta wear this, right? And you gotta drive this and you gotta live here and your girls gotta look like this. And they give us all of these different answers. But don't you love that in God's kindness to us, He gives us His word. And we're not left just to flounder around in life and figure this thing out on our own. So to that end, I would invite you, if you've got a Bible or a device with a Bible app on it, uh, let's go together to the book of, of 1 Kings. If you're newer, newer to your Bible, you're going to find the book of 1 Kings over in the Old Testament near the front of your Bible. Find Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel, then you're going to find 1 Kings. And we're going to just look at the first nine verses of 1 Kings chapter 2. But while you're finding that, let me kind of just set the stage for you, if I could, kind of set the context of it. It's going to make the, the story and the message make a whole lot more sense. The context of these nine verses that we're going to look at tonight is, of course, the whole first chapter of First Kings chapter 1 and 2 Samuel. Now, I don't, you don't want me to take the time to preach all of First Kings chapter 1 and all of 2 Samuel, so here's the, the three-minute Cliff Notes version, but I would encourage you brothers to read it for yourself sometime. Because Hollywood could not have written a better story uh, than these chapters leading up to where we're going to pick up tonight. Here's the thing. It's about King David. Any brothers heard of King David? In the text, King David's a 70-year-old man. He's on his deathbed. He's dying. He's, He's reflecting and reminiscing over the last 40 years that he has reigned and ruled as Israel's king. This is a dying man's last words to his son. Some of you brothers in this room are a little older like me, uh, and this, hit, this text hit me hard this week because uh, just in this last October, October 26th, my pop died. I preached his funeral in this very room. Just, just by show of hands, like how many of you brothers have lost your dad already? How many of you brothers remember that last conversation you had with your pop before he died? So we feel the weight of this moment in the text, like, like, like that moment as, as a dad knows that he's about to leave this earth and those things that he's wanting his son or his sons to remember, to, to latch on to, those, those truths that you want your, your boy to, to live his life by. That's, that's what's going on in our text here this, this morning. David's dying words to his son Solomon. Now, this isn't the, the main point of the text, but I think this, this, this is applicable for our time together tonight since we're talking about biblical manhood. We understood Solomon, remembering this in God's Word, he was called the, the wisest man to ever live, right? 
But in this text, we see his father David speaking truth into him. And I just want to remind you, brothers, that though God is the source of all truth and God is the source of wisdom, God often uses other men in our lives to speak wisdom and truth into our lives. So be humble. A real man's humble. And a real man's available. And a real man's teachable. If you don't have some older men in your life that love God and love His Word and love His church and love His mission that are speaking truth into your life on a regular basis, find you one. You need that. We see this clearly in the text. Well, David lying on his deathbed, one of his evil sons, had a couple of them actually, a man by the name of Adoniah sees his father's failing health as possibly an opportunity to swoop in and exalt himself as the king of Israel. He gathers this little posse of goons basically to try to start a coup and to make this happen. Meanwhile, Nathan, the prophet of God, hears that one of David's sons is going to basically try to overthrow David and set up his own kingship there in Israel. And he goes to Bathsheba, who is Solomon's mother, and he tells her what's going down. And he says, Bathsheba, you've got to get to King David before he dies, and you've got to tell him what Adonai is planning to do. Because if that boy becomes king, your life's in jeopardy. Your son's life is in jeopardy. The, the nation and the, and, and, and the kingdom of Israel is in jeopardy. You've got to get to him. Bathsheba listens to Nathan, the prophet of God. She goes to her husband, David, to tell him what's going on. Mid-story, Nathan busts in, confirms the story. And as David's lying on his deathbed, God, God gives him this moment of strength and clarity that he sees what's going on, and he summons to himself Nathan, the prophet of God, Zadok, the high priest, Benaiah, who was his personal bodyguard, and the captain of his army. And he says, here's what I want you guys to do. I need you to go find Solomon right now and anoint him the king of Israel right now. You know what these guys did? Exactly what the king told them to do. They find Solomon, they anoint him as king, and a party starts. <laughs> Adoniah and all of his crooked little power-hungry posse, they hear the party, they hear the music, and all the cheering, they realize what had happened, and they began to freak out because they realize in that moment that they have been found out and they are considered enemies of the king. Adonijah is scared for his life. So chapter 1 of 1 Kings ends with Adonijah running into the sanctuary, laying hold of the altar, which was a safe place. It's like base when you're playing tag. You're off limits there. And he's saying, I'm not leaving here till my brother promises that he's not going to kill me. Solomon shows mercy to his brother says, I'm going to let you live, but you keep acting a fool. You do something stupid again. You jeopardize Israel. You jeopardize my rule, and I'll kill you. That's where we pick up our text tonight. It's time of celebration. There's a new king in Israel, but at the same time, there's stress, and there's, there's tension, and there's tears as beloved King David is about to die. And in this text, as I mentioned before, we see this dying dad's last interaction and instructions to his son about being a man, what a real man looks like. I hope you found 1 Kings chapter 2. Let's pick up at verse 1 together. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. 
listen to this phrase. Be strong and show yourself a man. You're going to hear that a lot tonight, guys. Be strong and show yourself a man. Verse 2. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. Be strong and show yourself a man. And if you'll allow me just to paraphrase those couple verses right there, the first thing that David says to Solomon, son, you be strong and you show yourself a man and here's what a real man looks like. You be strong and you show yourself a man and you be a man of the Word. The Holy Spirit quickening David in his dying breast as a real man. A strong man is a man that is mindful of and obedient to the Word of God. And brothers, nothing has changed since David said those words. The earmark of a real man of a, of a godly man. Listen, it's got nothing to do with the length of your beard or how much you can bench press. Sorry, Jew. <laughs> that ain't it. According to God's Word here, the Spirit of God moves on David to speak to Solomon and through the living, active Word is talking to us tonight and says, you be strong, you show yourself a man, and you be a man of God's Word. See the importance of this. David's laying there thinking about the last 70 years of his life. He's laying there kind of probably playing the story in his mind of the last 40 years of his kingship. He's thinking about all of his successes and all of his victories and all of his trials and his triumphs and all of his failures. And the first counsel that, that he gives his son, these words that he wants him to live by, verse 3, is keep the charge of the Lord your God. Walk in His ways. Keep His statutes and His commandments, His rules and His testimonies. Brothers, be strong. And show yourself a man and do so by being a man that lives in increasing mindfulness of and submission to the truthful authority of God's Word. Listen, guys. We live in a society that praises the idea of the self-made man, right? We live in a society that praises men of power and, and prestige, the guys that kind of make their own rules and kind of go their own ways. And, and, and to, to quote the great theologian Nacho Libre, like gatekeepers of their own destiny, right? Those are the guys that the world looks to and is like, man, that dude has got his, his stuff together. They'll sit back and slow clap and say, that's a man's man. But God's Word would scream to us tonight and say, no. That God's wisdom, which so often is countercultural, that, it, that it's antithetical, it's opposite to the wisdom of man, God's wisdom would say to us, no, that's not a man. A real man, a strong man, is not a self-sufficient man of power and authority, but a humble man that assumes a posture of submission to the wisdom and the rules and the ways of God as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. Brothers, you be strong and you show yourself a man by being a man of the Word. To that end, I would ask you brothers here tonight, what's your relationship like with the Word of God? Do you love it? Do you desire it? 
Do you find yourself desiring to spend time in it and meet with God in His Word? It is irreplaceable in our growth in grace. As, as, as Pastor Roger reminded us yesterday in 1 Peter, that says that we should desire the pure spiritual milk of the Word, that by it, what by the Word, we grow up into this great salvation afforded to us through the work of Christ. What's your relationship like to the Word? Because according to God's Word, that is the benchmark of masculinity. Your, hear that again. Your relationship to the Word of God, and so, not just a hearer of the Word, but a what? A doer of the Word. That has to do with biblical masculinity. Brothers, with God's help, let's be found often with humility and joy approaching God's Word. Let your wives and your children and your friends and your co-workers and your neighbors see you often with this book open, looking to it as the words of life. You read it and you memorize it and you meditate upon it. You ponder it throughout the day. You store it up in your heart so that you don't sin against God, believing that these, that these words are divinely inspired and they're for our good, right? That's 2 Timothy chapter 3. Like, th th there's, not just, there's not just filler in here. All Scripture, all of the Grafe, all the Old Testament, all the New Testament, that it's God-breathed and it's good for us for good doctrine to reprove us, to correct us, and instruction in righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You will not do the good works that God has called you to do as a man apart from the Word of God. What's your relationship like to the Word, brothers? Be strong. Be strong. And show yourself a man and embrace and rejoice in the Word. I have every right as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because I'm something, but because God is everything and this is His Word. I, I charge you, my brothers, by the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, love the Word. Be pierced by the Word. Be governed by the Word. Store it up in your heart that you don't sin against God. I would ask you this. In a culture that tells us that there's a lot of things that we could do as men to leave a legacy, I would, I would submit to you men tonight that there's no greater legacy that we could leave as men. We're all going to die, Right? One day, somebody's going to be standing over a box that we're going to be lying in. And they're going to be saying stuff about us. That's a fact, right? What is, what is going to be said of us when we're dead and gone? What is the legacy that we are going to leave to our children and our wives and our grandchildren and those that know us, brothers and sisters? I would submit to you, there is no greater legacy. There's no amount of money. There's no business. There's no vehicle. There's no farm. There's no gift you could leave behind that would supersede this, us being known as men that love God that love His Word and humbly obey it at, in all things, at all times. Listen to this. Even when it's not popular, even when it's not fun, even when it's not convenient, even when it costs you something, even when you don't like it, and even when you don't understand it, and even when you plain just don't want to. No greater legacy we could leave than being men of the Word. According to God's Word, 1 Kings chapter 2, a real man, a masculine man, a man of power 
and authority is a man of humble submission to God and His Word. Oh, Spirit, like give, give us grace to be those kind of men, right? God, give, give us grace to submit to the truth of Your Word. I was thinking of illustrations to maybe play that out a little bit. And man, the, the Bible does a great job of this for us. And in Luke chapter 5, when, when a, you guys know a guy named Peter, remember him? Remember what he did for a living? He's a fisherman, right? In Luke chapter 5, we've got this scene playing out that Peter's been out all night fishing. And do you remember that in Luke 5? What did he catch after being out there all night? Nothing, right? So I've got a vivid imagination. So I can kind of see this playing out in my mind. So, so uh, Peter's not some weekend bass boat warrior, right? He's a pro fisherman. This is what provides for him and his family. Dude's been out all night on the third shift working hard work. Excuse me. Didn't catch a thing. Pulling his boat up on the beach the next morning. And here comes Jesus bebopping down the beach like fresh as the morning dew. Right? It's like, hey man, what you catch? Nothing. <laughs> he says, you know, here, just l launch back out in the deep. And I can, I can see Peter's face in that moment like, eh, nah. You know, he's tired. Dude's dirty. He's running his hands through his hair. At that moment, like all he wanted was like a, spicy chicken biscuit from Chick-fil-A and wanted to go to bed. Like, fishing was the last thing he had on his mind. Jesus says, no, here's what we're going to do. We're going to launch out into the deep. And three words that he uses to respond, I think, are actually four words. It's just the, the benchmark of biblical manhood. After fishing all night, and he's the pro. Jesus ain't the pro fisherman, but he realized who the authority was in that moment. And Jesus says, launch out in the deep. And Peter just looks at him and says, Nevertheless, at your word. Brothers, there's, go, there's going to be times when we confront things in that book that you're not going to like it. It's not going to be convenient. It's going to cost you something. But a real man, that's the response. Nevertheless, at your word. Be strong. Show yourself a man and be a man of the word committed to the to the Lord's ways, to use the language of verse 3, his statutes, his commands, his rules and testimonies. Did, did you see how, though, how, how David ends this instruction to his son by reminding him of, of, of the blessings of obedience? Did you, did you see that? He said, you will prosper, son. Listen to me. Like, you be a man of the word. You follow God's way and His rules and His statutes. And son, when you do so, you will, listen to the promise, you will prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And let me, let me just confess something. In, in my own preaching and teaching, like, like over the last 20 years or so, in an overcorrection to the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that we were reminded of that honestly promises far too little, and the, the word of faith movements that make these outlandish promises of God's temporal blessings contingent on something we do or we give. Listen, I and maybe you, we, we, we fail to remember that the Lord really does bless those that honor Him in obedience. That, that's a thread that runs all through Scripture. Like, read, if you're taking notes, like, read Deuteronomy 28. Read 1 Samuel chapter 15. The Lord blesses those that fear Him and walk in obedience to Him. Scriptures are chalked full of those promises. Men, I ask you just a pointed question. Do you desire to be blessed by God in all that you do? 
and wherever you turn? I'd like to think so, right? He says, walk in my ways, keep my commands, keep my statutes. And son, if you do that, the Lord will bless you. I know about you, but I would love to have God's favor upon my marriage, my parenting, and my children, my business, and, 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 and our work, and our finances, and our friendships, and, and you just fill in the blank. And, and if that's the desire of our hearts, then here's the charge to us, brothers. Be strong and show yourself a man and be a man of the Word. Secondly, I want us to see in the text that real manhood is this, to be strong and show ourselves as men is this, to be men of justice. So right on the heels of David's encouragement to his son, first thing out of his mouth is, boy, remember God's word, obey it, love it, live it. Right on the, right on the heels of that charge to love and obey the word of God, I want us to look at verses 5 and 6, and then we're going to jump down to 8 and 9 together. But look at 5 and 6 first. My eyes are getting bad. Here it is. Moreover, you also know what Joab, the son of Zeruah, did to me. How he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel, Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, avenging in the time of peace for blood that had been shed in war, and putting the blood of war on the belt of, excuse me, around his waist and on the sandals of his feet. Verse 6, act therefore according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to Sheol or the grave in peace. Pick up in verse 8. And there is also with Shemi, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite from Baruam, who cursed me with a grievous curse on the day I went to Mahanam. But when he came down to meet me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, for you are a wise man, and you will know what you ought to do to him, and you shall bring his gray head down with blood to shale. Now, not to insult anyone's intelligence or reading comprehension level, but I just want to be sure we're all on the same page of what we, what we just read. Is that me? What is that? Okay. What we just read together, is that my watch beeping maybe? Is it? Let's do that. Um, so we know what we're on the same page here. David has just told Solomon, now get this, there's a couple dudes, Joab and Shimmy. That's what, that's what I call him. I don't know how to pronounce it, but we're going to call him Shimmy. Joab and Shimmy, that you're going to need to kill these guys. Now, verses 6 and 9 are a bit graphic. David commands his son, Solomon, to, to violently slay these dudes. <laughs> he says, don't you dare let them live peaceful lives and just die in their old age of natural causes with their long flowing gray hair. That's what he means in verse 9. That you shall bring his gray head down with blood to shale. This, this, is, this is a manly text. This, this, is, this is pretty intense. It's like, like some kind of scene right out of a mobster movie. This, this dying father is really, he's kind of giving a, a hit list to his son. 
Now, for some of you in the room that are, that are maybe newer Christians, newer to the Bible, you might be thinking like, that doesn't sound like this loving God <laughs> that I've been taught so much about. All right, fair enough. We're not going to debate that at this point. Um, you can talk to Roger about that after this is over tonight. <laughs> but if you are a reader and things like that interest you, I would commend a book to you by, by an author named Paul Copeland. He wrote a book entitled, Is God a Moral Monster? where he walks through a bunch of these Old Testament texts that are just, they're really bloody, to be honest. They're violent, where it seems like God is asking his people to do some, some pretty harsh stuff, okay? And in that, what we see is that, that God commanded some harsh things and some violent things for the good of his people, and for the good of his kingdom. And in this passage, this Joab guy and this Shimmy guy, they had done great wrong. They were a legitimate threat to Solomon and the throne and Israel. And therefore, that they had to be removed by their deaths. Listen, this is the big picture. That was, they, that was to see to the safety and the well-being of God and his people so that Jesus one day would come through that bloodline. Okay? That's short answer to a really big question. But the first guy that we're introduced to in this text that has to die in verse 5 is a man by the name of Joab. If you do your Old Testament Bible study, the plot thickens here because what you'll find in, in, uh, in 1 Chronicles chapter 2 is that Joab is actually King David's nephew. He's the son of David's sister, Abigail. He, he's, it's, it's Solomon's cousin. <laughs> David is telling his son Solomon, your cousin Joab, you, you're, you're going to need to kill him. And if you read the Old Testament, you're going to see that this Joab guy loved his uncle David. He served uncle slash King David with excellence and with devotion in the past. If you, if you read 2 Samuel, you really got to read 1 and 2 Samuel to really understand 1 and 2 Kings. If you read in 2 Samuel 11, remember when David was smitten with Bathsheba on the rooftop and decided that he wanted her for his own? Listen, it was, it was David that fetched Joab to go get Uriah and bring him back and talk to him. It was Joab that saw to it that Uriah went to the front lines of the battlefield and eventually killed so David could have Bathsheba. If you read 2 Samuel chapter 18, another one of David's evil sons. I mean, you think you got problems with your boys sometimes? Read these four chapters of Scripture. Like, his boys were always trying to kill him or start a war with him, all right? In 2 Samuel 18, another one of his boys, Absalom, was pursuing his dad on a horse. And if you remember this, Absalom was known to have this long, long hair. It's a crazy story. He's riding his horse. Somehow his hair gets hung up in an oak tree. And dude's just swinging there by his hair. And we read in 2 Samuel chapter 18 that it's Joab, in defense of uncle slash king David, goes and runs three javelins through this guy's heart. So I tell you all that to say he, he loved and served the king well in the past. Yet in verse 5 of our text, if you go back and read it, he's unjustly killed two of David's generals. And we learn that he's joined Adonai in this rebellion. He's a traitor to the uncle king. He's a threat to Solomon and the kingdom. And David says he's, he's got to go. The second guy that he mentions is this Shimei or Shimei in verse 8. For the sake of time, I'll give you less detail, but if you read 2 Samuel chapter 16, you'll find that 
as, as he was running from Absalom, that this shimmy guy runs out of his house and he's cussing King David. He's, throw, he's literally throwing rocks at the king, dirt cloths at his army. He's, he's cursing him that he's being disrespectful to the king to the point of one of David's men wanted to stop the whole procession and wanted to go cut his head off. And David says, no, we, we got bigger fish to fry. Let's, let's just leave that alone. But, he, but again, on his deathbed, I think the Spirit of God gives David this moment of clarity to remember this guy that was a threat in the past. And he tells his son, if this guy continues to live, he's going to jeopardize your rule and the kingdom of Israel. Justice must be served, the wrongs need to be made right. charge to Solomon is this. Son, you be strong. You show yourself a man. You be a man of the word, but you also be, be a man of justice. Now, before that leaves this room, I, let me just clear this up. The application of this text is not for any of you to make a hit list for people that, that you need to remove from the equation. That's, that's not what God is saying to us here tonight, but listen to me. Figuratively speaking, brothers, hear me, men, as the God-ordained leaders of our homes and this church, there are some things that need to be dealt with swiftly and violently for the glory of our good king and his kingdom. And here's where we're going to start. Our sin. We need to be men of justice that deal quickly, swiftly, and violently executing our sin for the glory of our good king and the goodness of his kingdom. I remember my dad saying this a hundred times, hearing him preach growing up, is that the best of gardeners don't just love flowers, they hate weeds. And we can sit in this room all night and talk about our, our love for God and our love for one another. And part of our sanctification, part of our growing in grace is most definitely growing to love the things that God loves. But on the same hand, brothers, are we growing to hate the things that God hates? Are we growing to hate? Another question for you. I asked you, what's your relationship like to the Word? Let me ask you this. Roger reminded us yesterday, none of us are without sin. Show of hands. Any sinless people here? All right? None, right? I, I'm, in, I'm in good company then. We're going we're gonna to deal with it till, till we die or till Jesus returns. But listen, what is your relationship to your sin? Are you content in it? Are you happy about it? Can you continue to do it seemingly with no repercussions or no conviction or no brokenness? Spirit of God. Give us a holy hatred for our sin. A holy hatred for our sin. God, give us grace to see it for what it is. Though, as Hebrews says, it, it might be pleasurable for a season, but the end of it's death. Right? There's a way that seems right to a man, and the end of that thing is death, brothers. We, we need to be men that act swiftly and violently with the Spirit of God's help, putting to death, Romans chapter 8, verse 13, the misdeeds of the body. We're walking through Galatians as a church on Sunday mornings. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 tells us to crucify our flesh. Why? Roger used my quote yesterday morning, but it's one of my favorites. John Owen says, brothers, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. 
The wages, when, when God told us in his word that the wages of sin is death, he hasn't changed his mind about that. It'll kill us spiritually, emotionally, mentally, financially, physically. Lord, the, the wages of sin is death, and we should be dealing with it, executing justice upon it. Secondly, our sin compromises the kingdom in the sense that it misrepresents our king. We need to be putting it to death for the glory of our good King Jesus. Tell me this isn't true, that if there's ongoing, unrepentant sin in our lives, it prevents us from being, prevents us from being actively involved in the mission of God, right? And the joy of being invited into bringing Christ's sheep into the fold. Lastly, brothers, we have a good king just, just think about this with me for a moment. We have a good king that is worthy of radical, self-sacrificing love and devotion. That's one of the reasons we should be putting to death our sin. That's the reason we should be men of justice, putting to death the misdeeds of our body. Because let me say it this way, Jesus is worth it. When we think about King Jesus and the kingdom into which we've been brought, it so far exceeds and supersedes all the kings and the kingdoms of this world, does it not? When you think about the kings of this earth, they require the lives of their subjects for their own good. But this Jesus, our good king, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, has laid down his life for his people and their good. How can we not love and obey that kind of king? How can we not be mindful of that good king and his kingdom? Brothers, you be strong. And show yourself a man and execute justice on your sin. Thomas Watson, one of my favorite Puritan preachers in his wonderful, wonderful sermon on Matthew chapter 12, or Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, that verse that says that the kingdom has suffered violence and the violent take it by force, if you've ever heard that, in his sermon entitled Heaven Taken by Storm, listen to what he says about this, this violence, this execution, this justice. He says, the violence with which we lay hold of the kingdom of God is found in our passionate persistent pursuit of killing sin for the glory of our king and his kingdom brothers be strong and show yourself a man by being a man of sin slaughtering justice but i also think to be faithful to this text if we step back and look at it a bit more abstractly david's charge to be a man of justice and kill some things could not only be seen as a call to, to kill the wrongs, but also, brothers, to be men of justice, we must boldly and courageously stand for what's right. You see, true justice entails not only eliminating threats, but protection and provision for the weak and the helpless. I've preached this text before on like Orphan Sunday, but I love Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 that tells us men learn to do good. Seek justice. Listen to this. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Brothers, that's for us. 
Be strong. And show yourself a man and seek justice not only by the power of the Spirit putting to death our sin, but do so by, hear me brothers, intentionally placing yourselves on the front lines of the war for the weak and the fatherless and the orphan and the poor and the broken and the helpless and the needy, hear me, and the unborn and the immigrant, and the minority, and the outcast, and the widow, and the marginalized, and the abused, and the neglected, and the old, and the forgotten. Brothers, is there anything more God-like, more Christ-like, than fighting with our dying breaths for those that can't fight for themselves? Be strong. Show yourself a man. May God, this is what I've prayed all week, God burst my bubble of selfish self-absorbency and seek justice. Help us to seek justice and kill what's wrong and the flip side of that and be willing to die for what's good and right. Brothers, be strong and show yourself a man which leads me to David's third and final charge to Solomon. The charge is thus far, be strong And do so by being a man of the word, being a man of justice, and lastly, be a man of compassionate grace and generosity. Look at verse 7. But deal loyally. Remember, this is David talking to Solomon. But deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty, they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. So see this, right in the middle, right in the middle of verses 5 through 9, and David's dying instructions for Solomon to kill a couple dudes, the Lord again grants David this, this moment of clarity to remember somebody else. And he remembers this Gileadite by the name of Barzillai. And we find the story of David's interaction with Barzillai. Again, 2 Samuel chapter 17 through 19. And contrary to Shimei, who when he crossed Jordan came out throwing rocks at him and cussing him and causing him all kinds of problems, that, that this is this Barzillai, he and his household and his servants and his sons, when King David crossed the Jordan, man, man he, he rolled out the red carpet. He sent food and he sent cots And he sent provisions, and he blessed them, and he did everything that he could to take care, good care of his king while he was on his property. King David was mindful of that because of Barzillai's kindness. David offers to take the old man back to Jerusalem and literally bring him into his own home and give him this high position of authority in his court. But Barzillai, he's a content old guy. And he humbly thanks the king. He basically says, thanks, but no thanks. And the scripture says he kisses his king, blesses him, and sends him on his way. But on his deathbed, on his deathbed, David remembers the graciousness and the kindness of Barzillai, who is now dead. And he charges Solomon, son, you be strong and you show yourself a man. And another way you're going to do that, verse 7 is you deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite and let them, let Barzillai's sons be them among them who are at your table. In other words, Solomon, 
Son, you be strong. Show yourself a man. And you're going to do that by this. When it's supper time and the steaks are on the grill, you make room at your table for Barzelli's boys. He was good to me then, so you be good to them now. Son, son, you, you be strong and you, you show yourself a man. And you be a man of the Word. And you be a man of justice. But you also, get this brothers, you be a man of radical, compassionate generosity. Brothers, do not miss the gospel of Jesus Christ foretold in the story of David and Barzilli. See how the Father's kindness and His sacrificial generosity secures for His children a place at the King's table. Don't miss that. If you miss that, you've missed the whole point of 2 Samuel chapter 17 through 19. Consider this. Consider the amazing kindness of God the Father. Brothers, let's not grow numb to this. Like, let's not get over our salvation, right? Let's not get numb to this. Consider God the Father who gave His very best in giving us the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And through the Father's gracious provision, we who have and will believe in Him, we now find ourselves the literal adopted sons and daughters of God with a place at the King's table. Be strong and show yourself a man, a Christ-like man of radical grace and generosity. Brothers, I ask you another question. How will we be known what will be said of us when we're gone? <laughs> will we leave a legacy of stingy, selfish, greedy living that revolves around us and our pleasure in light of the gospel of God and the radical generosity of God through Christ? Brothers, here's the call. Be strong and show yourself a man and be a man of selfish, compassionate grace and generosity. That's a real man. The culture would tell us, movies would tell us, media would tell us that a real man is, is an eye for an eye and a, and a tooth for a tooth, right? That it's take all that you can from whoever you can. And the Word of God says, no, 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 no. no. You be strong and you show yourself a man and you be a man of radical, radical generosity who finds himself in humble submission to God and His Word, deeply impacted by the Gospel of God, hating what is evil, loving what is good, radically generous with His time and His talent and His treasures for the good of others. Do you, do you see the connection in the text between, between our charge to be men of the Word and how that fuels us being men of justice and generosity? Brothers, I would say this flies in the face of pagan manhood and masculinity that says it's all about us. It's all about me. It's all about self-exaltation. It's all about self-preservation. It's all about wealth. It's all about toy accumulation, right? The one who dies with the most toys wins. No, he still dies, right? And what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The world would tell us it's all about clawing your way to the top and, and use and abuse whoever you have to to get there. Yet the Word says, dear brothers, no. 
You stand alone. You, you swim upstream. You go against the norm. You be strong and show yourself a man by, by the Spirit of God being a man of grace and compassion, radical generosity. What's that look like? Making room at our tables. Physically. Literally. Making room at our tables for those in need. It looks like loving and pursuing and caring for those from whom we stand to gain absolutely nothing. It looks like working hard to protect and provide for those that can't do it for themselves. That's a man. Be a man like Solomon dealing with the sons of Barzilli. That's generosity. That's grace. That's compassion. This convicted me again this week. This isn't my default, but this is what needs to be growing in me by the Spirit of God. That Jeremy, you need to be a man that's generous with grace. Quick to extend to others what they don't deserve. Quick to extend to others what they haven't earned. What they haven't paid for. Let that play out, brothers, in our lives with our wives and our children and our friends. That that's a man in light of the great grace that we've received from God through Christ. You be strong and you show yourself a man by being radically generous with grace. Brothers, that's our charge. From 1 Kings chapter 2, verses 1-9, through 9, a real man, real masculinity, is earmarked by being a man of the Word and justice and generosity, but let me conclude this way. If I were to stop right now, though everything I've said is absolutely true, I would be doing us a disservice. I would not serve us well because if you're anything like me, when we, when we look into the mirror of God's Word, that's what James 1 calls it, right? We look into the mirror of God's Word. We, we look into this text and say, that's what biblical manhood looks like. Being a man of God's Word that, that lives in perpetual humble submission to it. A man of justice. Hating what's evil and loving what's good. And to, to be a man is to be a man that's radically generous and compassionate and kind. If you're anything like me, when I look at the lofty expectations of God's Word, my stomach kind of sinks. When I come face to face with all my failures, and all my inadequacies, and I think about the times just today that I failed to be a man of the Word, and times today that I failed to be a man of biblical justice, and today when I failed to be a man of, of grace, it's easy for me to quickly fall into dejection and despair. And if you can relate with that, let me leave you with some really, really good news. If you are sitting here under the sound of my voice tonight and you can raise a hand or shake your head and say, yes, Jeremy, I can identify with all of those failures. Let me leave you with the best of news. There is therefore now no condemnation for you if you are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Man, this, is, this, this isn't like just self-help. This isn't like, okay, go do it, guys. Get after it. Like, be more generous. Be more just. Be more committed to the Scripture. Like, like that's, that's not good news. That's not good news. Good news is it is finished on our behalf through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Praise be to God that if you're sitting here tonight and you're looking to Christ and Christ alone to save you, God's gospel is big enough to absorb all of our failures as husbands and fathers of men. And He's done so in the person of Christ Jesus. Praise God that our right standing before the Father and our eternal security is not based on our ability to, to, to heed 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 3 perfectly, to always walk in the way, statutes, commands, and rules, and testimonies of God. Because if that's the benchmark, ain't none of us getting in. But listen, there is a man the God-man, the man Christ Jesus. He is perfect. This is the good news of the gospel that He's not only died in our place, He lived in our stead. And for every time we failed, Christ succeeded. And He has done these things perfectly. And His perfection becomes my perfection by faith in Him. And I don't know what you think, but I think that's really good news. And I'm convinced that though there are, there are very practical pointed application for us as men in this text to be strong and to show ourselves as men by being men of the word and men of justice and men of generosity i'm convinced that the aim of this text that we looked at and its encouragement to us isn't just to make us good or better men but to make us gospel men who see our sin and see our shortcomings and are driven to the only man that can do anything about it for every time I have failed to be a man of the Word, praise be to God that I look with eyes of faith to the One who was called the Word in John chapter 1 that perfectly obeyed the Father every moment of His life that was without sin. That with eyes of faith, brothers, we look to the only truly just man who hated sin to the point of death on the cross and lived his life as a friend of the sinner and a defender of the weak. For every moment in my life as a man that I failed to be radically generous in grace, I look to the one, the God-man, the epitome of compassionate grace and generosity who Philippians 2 said, He left the glories of heaven and made Himself nothing and took on flesh and became obedient to death, even to the death on a cross. See this, the mind boggling grace and generosity of Christ, the high King of heaven, giving us everything when He gave us Himself. Brothers, Christ is our only hope. He was and is the perfect man of the Word and justice and generosity. And I charge you, trust Him and rest in Him and run to Him. And His invitation to us tonight, brothers, is this. Come to Him, all of you men who labor and are heavy, and are heavy laden. That you're tired of trying to beat your brains out to try to be good or better only to fail time after time after time. And you live in perpetual guilt and shame and frustration. I would say to you, come to Jesus and He will give you rest for your body, your soul, and your mind. That's the good news of the Gospel. And the second part is, if we trust Him, if we run to Him, the same Spirit of God that indwelled the man Christ Jesus now indwells us, and He frees us up to passionately pursue being men of the Word, and being men of justice, and being men of generosity. And every time we fail, His blood is sufficient to cover every sin. It's a win-win. 
Be strong. Be strong. Show yourself a man. Be a man of the word and of justice and grace and generosity. I don't know how we intended to end our time together tonight. But when I was praying while we were being led in song, were we going to sing something? Were you thinking about it or no? Or no? Just play something if you don't mind. We don't want to sing, but just some music if you don't care. I think uh, you can't preach a text like this without calling men to respond in some way. I don't know about you, but there's some things in my life that even as I'm standing here preaching tonight, there's some stuff Jeremy needs to put to death. Like, I, I know it's there. There's a biting sin that Pastor Roger preached about yesterday. Listen, we're no longer slaves to that. Let's, let's quit excusing it. Let's quit coddling it. Let's quit giving it cute little names. Let's call it what it is. It's an abomination to God, and it hung Christ on the cross. And if we're in Him, we should be growing to hate that thing. And if we're truly in Christ, the Spirit of Christ is in us, and we can flee from that thing. We can have victory over that. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, just God opened your eyes like, this thing's got to go. Let's pray that God would give us grace to put that thing to death. Maybe you're sitting there and as we look to talk about the charge to be a man of God's Word, you're like, Jeremy, my, my word intake is Sunday mornings for the 45 minutes Pastor Nick or Stephen or Roger opens God's Word. Brothers, that ain't going to cut it. We're at, we're at war. We're at war. And we don't live by, by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We need to find ourselves in love with the Word, immersed in the Word, reading it and studying it and memorizing it and meditating upon it. Our flesh doesn't want to do that. Let's pray the Spirit of God to create a new hunger and thirst in us for the Word of God. Maybe you're like me, and you have a tendency to be selfish with your time, with your money, with whatever it is that God's blessed you with, in light of the radical generosity that we've experienced from God through the person of Christ, God, help us to be strong men that see ourselves not just as men of the Word and men of justice, but radically generous men for the glory of our good King, His kingdom, and those around us. Man, you can pray in your seat. You can come forward. Like, I'm, I'm going to kneel right there in that front row. And pray. Just ask the Spirit to help me. Some of the things I've been convicted of. So uh, I'm just going to encourage you guys to do that. Respond however the Spirit's leading you to do so. And I'll ask one of the pastors, whenever they feel led to do so, to come just close our night out in prayer. Thank you, brothers, for your attention. Hey, thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those who sow into this ministry. If you'd like to partner with us financially, text all one word, Matthew's Table, to 73256. That's Matthew's Table to 73256. It's because of you this ministry is possible. If you like what you've heard, click the subscribe button and share it with your friends. You never know what God can do through your one act of obedience. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. God bless.